Hello, and welcome to The Exit, presented by Flippa, the number one platform to buy and sell online businesses. Flippa manages over a billion in deal value annually and combines expert buy and sell side advisory with its market-leading valuation tool, deal room, off-market offering, market insights, and AI-based deal-by-deal matching engine. Now for The Exit. The Exit is a 30-minute podcast featuring awesome entrepreneurs who have been there and they have done it. The Exit talks to operators who have bought and sold businesses of all different sizes. You learn how they did it, why they did it, and get exposure to the world of Exits. It's a world occupied by a small few, but accessible to many. On this episode of The Exit, I sit down with Robbie Hardy. She's a fantastic entrepreneur, an investor, a mentor, and author. And we walk through her whole journey from exiting her company and really just everything that happened after the fact with negotiations and the team being taken care of and talking about how everything from the beginning of the conversation at a trade show all the way through the exit and her mentoring other women entrepreneurs and becoming an investor. And this is a unique conversation because not only has Robbie done both sides where she's been an operator going through the exit and also becoming an investor on the other side, she's really a very fantastic entrepreneur and example as a powerful woman in business. She talks about mentoring women to really just get out there and start conversations and networking. And we talk a little bit about tactical ways that women can get more involved. And one of the main ones we've talked about on the podcast before is more women need to get in investing. Because on both sides of the equation where you have somebody writing the check and somebody accepting the check, if both of those are women, we stand a a greater chance to level the playing field. And I think that there's so many bits of knowledge in this conversation with Robbie, because she has been in the game for a long time, written multiple successful books, including Fed Up to Startup. And she is really just a knowledge base of incredible experience. And I can't state this enough that she just has a a great foundation, a lot of experience. So it's worth listening to this. If you know a woman in business, definitely share this episode with them because it is a a really deep conversation. So without further ado, let's jump in here on The Exit with Robbie Hardy. All right, I am here with Robbie Hardy. And she is an author, speaker, and amazing entrepreneur and mentor. How are you doing, Robbie? I'm great. How are you doing, Steve? Doing good. Doing good. I'm really excited to get into everything around mentorship and your exit as well. But before we get into all that, uh, let's talk about your background. How'd you get started in business and entrepreneurship? Well, I got started, I was 25 years in the corporate world. So I was a slow starter on uh, getting into entrepreneurship. And I realized that I was a square peg in a round hole. Um, so I, you know, I was I was very successful, but I just never felt fulfilled. And so I decided to leave and try to figure something else out. I was working for a publicly traded company. I was a woman. It was a long time ago. They didn't want me to leave. 
So they sort of patted me on the head and said, why don't you take a leave of absence? And I did. And I figured it out and realized I wanted to be enough that I was going to start something of my own. I was tired of, you know, a lot of the corporate things. And I, being a software entrepreneur, I was tired of building the same thing over and over and over again. So I left and started a company and ended up being in the right place at the right time with the right product, sold it, did that a couple of times. Um, have done turnarounds, became an angel investor right after that, sort of paying it forward. And I've been um, working on empowering women since 1986 <laughs> in my first, when I first, my first secretary back in those days. And so, yeah, I, uh, that's kind of who I am. I work and I have always been coaching and mentoring uh, entrepreneurs. And now I'm a mentor in residence at Duke University also. Very cool. Very cool. So, I think something that's really interesting with this conversation is that you've you've seen, you know, both both perspectives very deeply with being an entrepreneur and an operator, and also as an investor, uh, which I think is really something that we we should touch on. With uh, I think it's XL uh, Ventures, which is really a yes. fascinating fund. So I think first let's start with the entrepreneurial side, and then we can jump over to to the investor side. So let's talk about the the venture that you saw success in and and had an exit, and let's talk a little bit about how that happened. Well, it was, um, you know, the product that, you know, one of the things that, of course, we don't want entrepreneurs to is, you know, if, if you build it, will they come, um, kind of thing. And so because of my consulting background, I saw a need across multiple large corporations for a product. And so that was the product I set out to build in my first startup, which, of course, after being in the corporate world, I thought I knew everything and I knew nothing, but, you know, those things, things happen. But, you know, from uh, we built the company and built the product. We did it. We bootstrapped it initially, sort of. You know, did consulting by day and worked on the product nights and weekends and raised money. Not that I mean, the the investors had only been in the company for nine months when I sold it. Mm -hmm. So, but again, it was um, on the exit side. It was timing. It was being in the right place at the right time and recognizing that somebody saw it and um, was interested. And I was willing to, I just kept negotiating till we got what we wanted. So I was, you know, uh, building the company with one hand and working on this exit with the other hand. Or you, you need, well, you need to be an octopus when you do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's yes. very, di very difficult managing the day to day and these like high level conversations. Um, right. And, so we had a product that this company needed and wanted, and you just have to kind of, you know, be... It, the corporate world was very helpful so that I could, you know, maintain my cool, so to speak, when someone was interested in buying my baby. So... <laughs> Yeah. And, and how did the conversations begin? It was a customer that, that really needed... You know, it was actually, I was at a trade show and out they, they, you know, and, and I think most people realize that at large trade shows, you know, the, the investing world and the M&A world is, is everywhere. You don't know that's who they are, but they're always looking for what's next. Every, people, you know, FOMO for com big companies and investors is, is alive and well. So the company that bought the mine was looking for, they were about to change, you know, they had a new uh, strategy. They were looking for pieces of it and we were there. We were very early. They didn't know that necessarily. They found that out later um, and it was exactly what they wanted. So the conversation started by them calling me and me not 
taking their calls. This was before, I couldn't see, caller ID was not alive and well, and, and particularly in landlines. And so I just didn't return the calls till a colleague of mine said, you know, this guy's trying to reach you. I think they want to buy your company. I'm like, yeah, right. So um, anyway, and that's how it happened. Nice. So finally, yeah, so there's a message there. Yeah, return the call. Now, of course, it's a different world. You don't want to return all those calls. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I like that, that trade shows everyone shopping in different capacities. Like people are shopping right. for the, you know, uh, at the booth. And then some people are shopping for the booth itself, the company right. itself. Right. <laughs> yes. You just never know where it might be. So, which is the importance of having, you know, your, your elevator pitch and your story really well honed so that when you have those conversations, they're meaningful. Yeah. And you, you briefly touched on timing. I think that that's a question that comes up a lot is around when is the right time for exits and how to be prepared. So what can you share around why it was the right time? Well, I mean, in terms of just let me touch on being prepared, because I think it's important. I mm-hmm. think when you start a company, you should always start it with the idea that, you know, there may be an exit. So you never commingle money. You have really good books. You have really, you know, all your legal stuff is in order. You, you know, you run like a company, not like, you know, two guys in a garage. You, you can be two guys in a garage, but as long as somebody's keeping all that up to date um, and current. And so when you have to go have a data room to get to an uh, a uh, an acquirer, you know, you're not scrambling too far, too hard. Mm-hmm. Um, timing is different for everyone. Um I, there's not a right or wrong time to sell. It's really up to the entrepreneur, the investors, the board. It becomes that type of a decision. People worry about leaving money on the table. And if you look at how things move, you just never know. I mean, who would have thought there would be a pandemic? So there are plenty of people that, you know, wanted to wait um, longer to get more money. And of course, those deals, you know, fell off the table. So it's when is it right for you? Is it the right company that you think will, you know, help take the product forward? The price is, you know, clear. What's the multiple that your investors are looking for that's reasonable? Um, and what will the, the acquiring company do with your employees, which is really important because that team is what you got the, got you there. So there's many factors. There's not, in my opinion, any hard and fast rule of when to sell. The hardest part is to not get so caught up and leaving money on the table that you miss a deal. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you, you negotiated uh, quite a bit. What were some of the things that you used there? Did you shop around a bit or how, how did the negotiations work? Well, I I did not shop around. Um, I didn't have time to shop around. I was trying to raise money and I was trying to sell the company. I was trying to build it. So I did not shop around um, other than I had worked in M&A in the corporate world. So I kind of looked to see what the multiples were and you know what the price might be and um, I got a walk away price, you know, what was, what's the least I could take from the board. And so I always had that in my pocket. Um, and this, and as, as an aside, I, at, at the final negotiation table, I was negotiating, I had an eight ball in my briefcase. 
And it turns out that the CEO had a big eight ball in his office. It was sort of a Buddha. I had one of those little cheap black things. And we had a little eight ball contest. And after we were, it was very humorous. And it was really, you know, I don't recommend doing that, but it was, um, it was, it just happened. And, and that's actually how the deal closed. And this was a, you know, multi-billion dollar company that, so these things do happen. Um, the reason that I had the eight ball is that I was, had traveled. It's a California company. And I had traveled to California without my lawyer. And so I had no one to pause with. I had no one to go out and talk to. I, so I was looking for something to break up. It's very stressful. And it's, you know, who's going to say the next word, et cetera. And so the eight ball became my negotiator. Nice. Yeah, it became the it became the deal uh, piece for you know when we had the deal dinner when it sold. So everybody who was an investor has a, a CI Technologies eight ball. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. So, so, but I'm not recommending it. But I think it's you know you're you know use your innovate use your creativity or innovation. Be respectful. You know, et cetera, and yeah. be able and know what your walk away price so you know when you can walk out the door. Um, and say, gee, this isn't going to work, and have a plan. And I also was working on, okay, if this doesn't work, you know, what else are we going to do? How, you know, looking at um, cash flow, which is yeah. king, of course, in the, in that time. Yeah, and you, you also touched on team, which I think is a really a great indicator from an entrepreneur's perspective as to what happens with them. And after the deal was done. How, how long did you stay? Did the team stay? What did that look like with with after? So the, the team stayed. They were treated well. Um, it's generally the case that, of course, the benefits are better than in a startup. Um, but sometimes, you know, the big company doesn't work. So people stayed for a while. Some of them stayed, you know, for years and years and years. What happens in most acquisitions is that the founder, CEO, whatever, has, you know, a 18 to 36 month um, contract because part of the uh, sale price is held back and it's in escrow and it's there for, for them to see if you've lied about anything or something shows up. So there's money to cover that. And so all the invest, everybody has that held back. And so and when that period, mine was two years. And then when that happened, and I really, I, yeah, I couldn't get out fast enough. Um, I'd been in the corporate world and they were starting a new division and my call, everybody, all the others that had been acquired all wanted to be CEO of this new division. I just wanted out. Um, it was, I learned a lot. It was very interesting, but I was ready to move on. And my, yeah, and, you know, and, and part of the negotiation was also, you know, instead of just focusing on the price, it was focusing on all the other pieces and meeting other, other, I mean, I met other um, CEOs that had been acquired by this company to get a sense of what it was like. So that kind of, you know, that's shopping around part of it, you know, doing my due diligence on them as much as they did on me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a great segue into uh, what happened next. Like you, you, shifted gears onto the investor side after that? Or did you operate? Yeah, immediately. Yeah. I mean, I did a bunch of things, but I did start investing. I had had um, individuals had invested. I had angel investors. 
Um, so I thought I should pay it forward. And my attorney was kind enough to introduce me to some startups. And I initially started investing on my own. And again, I thought I knew what I was doing. And you know what happens, because I'm an entrepreneur, I, you know, I'm, I've been an investor for a long time, but I'm an entrepreneur at heart. So what happens is you fall in love with the entrepreneur or the product and you don't do a good job in the early days of really seeing does this business make sense. Um, but you know, I loved the whole, I'm into the thrill of the chase, what's next, not knowing it, et cetera. So it really worked for me. Um, and, you know, I was still building, you know, we were still building technology and selling it off, not, you know, just selling the technology off. Um, and I, and I got into angel investing that way and trying to pay it forward. Nice. Do you own an online business? You can find out what your business is worth in under three minutes with Flippa's Intelligent Valuations Engine. If you've ever wondered what the value of your business is or who would buy your business, Flippa's Intelligent Valuations Engine can help. Flippa uses key details that you provide, including business model, category, age, page views, and compares all that data to thousands of similar businesses that have sold on Flippa's marketplace to give you an accurate and instant valuation. This is key if you're looking for an exit. As the leading global platform to buy and sell online businesses with the largest community of buyers in the world and more historical sales data than anywhere else, Flippa will provide you with an accurate indication of the price that your business could sell for. And it's all instant and free, which is a kicker here that can't be passed up. Whether you own a SaaS business app, e-commerce store, blog, community newsletter, plugin, and any other type of digital asset, Flippa can help you understand the value of your business and support you on your exit journey. So get a free valuation on your business today at flippa.com slash exit. Once again, that is flippa.com slash exit. Nice. Yeah, I, I see that kind of as a common theme with a lot of uh, a lot of entrepreneurs as a characteristic. Is people after after some success, they want to either teach it or help help others go through it and uh, share the wisdom around. So I think that's that uh, that tracks quite quite well. So yeah, it, uh, it, it, yeah, it's that whole idea of people helped you. I mean, it takes a village. Um, yeah. To build and, and uh, exit a company, so there's a lot of ways that you can pay it forward. Yeah, and we, we touched on a lot there with the exit. You moved on to investing, helping pay it forward. What what sort of happened after the investing? Were you mentoring alongside of it? I'm very interested in your whole methodology around investing because you you take a mentor approach, right? Well, yes. I mean, it is. I started mentoring um, very part time after uh, the exit because I still want. There were still technologies that I wanted to build. There were other things that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but I was mentoring, you know, a handful of people uh, on the side. And particularly when I would get introduced to an entrepreneur who was about to raise money or thinking about raising money, and so I spent time mentoring them. And I have to tell you that I always feel like I learned more from them than they learn from me because every one of them is so very different. And that's why there's not a handbook for, um, 
you know, how to do a company because they are, they are very different. So I did, yes, I've had a coaching and mentoring business since 1996. So, um, yes, off and on, not always, you know, kind of ebb and flow, um, depending on what other things that I've been doing. Um, Mm -hmm. I've started other projects and the empowering women, um, side of my life and writing books and, and doing consulting and, you know, I just, you know, the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great, a great segue into some of the sort of character traits that you've seen over the years of, you know, women in the business space, you know, that you've seen that have crushed it, that have become really successful. What are some standout sort of characteristics that you've noticed over over the last years? Well, there and again, I mean, they're all different. I think the main thing that I see is women need to take their seat at the table. And they need to know that they can do this, that they're enough, you know, not, you know, a lot of, you know, people have, women have been told, otherwise and finding that core inside yourself where you can stand tall and um sort of own the room so that you're taken seriously i mean back in my day i mean everybody thought i was the secretary i was the only woman in the room and so that's you know so you that there's still that it still exists um unfortunately we have not come as far as i would like but women need to look in the mirror and see how can i do this and part of that is one of the things that i coach with women is you know if you're going into a difficult situation or something you're nervous about, how you prepare yourself so that you're ready to, you know, to belong at the table and how you, you know, all about the, it's about the physical, it's about the voice, it's about the speech, it's so many things, but it really starts on the inside. Mm -hmm. So the women that I have seen and be really successful um, you never know what they're thinking inside. I mean, nobody would ever think that I was went through have go through my own insecurities, but we all do. And recognizing that that's the case, that every you know all these strong women or strong men you see, you think, well, they don't ever question themselves. Well, that's not true. I've, if I've met you in a bathroom somewhere where I'm looking in the mirror, going, okay, I can do this. Let's do this. Is is part of it. So women have to trust themselves and. Um, and go for it because the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't work. But worse than that is they never tried. Mm-hmm. So women who get out there t- tend to be successful mm-hmm. <clears throat> because of we've seen there's a lot of data that you know women in management um, you know listen more, have an affinity that you know problem solving in a different way, and can bring a team along um, very successfully. Mm-hmm. And I, I've even heard that. You know, starting sooner is is probably one of the key ingredients uh, with it. Where male entrepreneurs are likely to just walk into a room with a napkin and an idea, and women want it to be a little bit more prepared. Just and and sometimes, well, right? I mean, that applies across the board. I mean, you know, I can tell you when I was um, doing Excel Ventures, and and when I I I raised another fund in in two thousand. Women want to know, you know, they're, they don't have FOMO. They don't have fear of missing out in the same way. They don't feel the need to brag at a cocktail party that they just invested in something or whatever. So they need to understand. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, 
that is a that's an excuse. That's something to hide behind. You know, you go into a meeting, and a ma- we're talking about ideas, and somebody throws something out, and then someone else, a woman, has a great idea, and she brings out a notebook, and she's got all these data, and she's done all this research, and by the time she finishes telling it, no one's listening. And so, and then then the guy steals the idea, so to speak, but he just speaks it. And so it's, again, that being comfortable and knowing that what you're saying, and if it is wrong, it's wrong, and that's the worst thing that can happen. I always, what's the worst thing that can happen? And if it's that someone interrupts you or someone says, I disagree, who cares? You just move on. So, um Yes, and and not not waiting because you'll never dot the i's and cross all the t's. You'll never happen. Mm-hmm. And how has the landscape changed from when you when you first? I wish started? I could say it had changed a lot, but it hasn't. Um, yeah. We were kind of making some reasonable progress prior to um, the pandemic and prior to Roe versus Wade being. I mean, the, for women, it's tough to be a woman today. Um, it's not an excuse. It's just tough to not, you know, have what other what men have um, in terms of equal rights and control over their body, et cetera, et cetera. But women are smart and strong and bold. And so, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's 1995 or it's 2025. You have to be out there and not hide behind the fact that, well, they're not doing X or Y because I'm a woman. Make sure that's the case and don't go after money or to, you know, do your due diligence. If you look for an investor and you go to their website and there's not a woman in sight and there's not a woman in their portfolio, then that's not a place for you because they, that's part of the problem. Um, so you have to find, and there's now a lot of funds that fund women. It's not enough. I'm not saying there is. There's never enough for everybody to get what they think they should have, but it's doing your homework and never hide behind the, well, they won't do it because I'm a woman. Then you as a woman find the place that will. Mm-hmm. Well said. And I, I think there's there's a lot of different tactics uh, that from a high level that, that people have suggested to me, people have brought up on the, on the podcast many times about how in an ideal world, the the playing field was leveled. What do, What would you say were some ways that we could potentially, you know, even things out a little bit? Like, what are some things that... Well, I mean, we need more women investors. So that's a segue. We may not be ready to go there, but one of the reasons, I mean, I used to complain, I've invested with men for a long, long time and was really, and I've always pushed them to invest in women. And then I finally, about 10 years ago, sort of thought, looked in the mirror and thought, hey, you want to change this? You have to, you know, women have to change it. And it's, again, what you talked about, how women, you know, want to do their homework and do their research before they jump in. So getting women educated enough to feel comfortable investing, because then when women founders look on the website, there's all these women there who, you know, they look like them. They have that same experience. So women who are accredited investors or whether they know they are or not find out and are willing to put their toe in the water and start building um, that platform of women investors is really where the difference will be made. Men want to come along. Not, I mean, they're, they're not all bad people, obviously. Um, and it's just that, you know, they have to, you have to get them comfortable. And so having more women at the table is the answer. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. I like, I like having good, good tactical solutions that we 
potentially all help out with. And I think that that's a great a great one that I've actually heard before of having more women in the investor seat helping fund other women. And I think that that's a way that it can kind of go through the whole system. Um, right. I mean, that's, and, and then the women founders, as they're successful, they're, they become it. And so, I mean, it's a long cycle, but we have to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that leads us to the finale. Knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? I, um, what I would tell myself is that I didn't know what I didn't know. And I jumped in thinking because I had this great corporate experience and I'd, you know, done deals and done been an M&A and built software, et cetera, et cetera. And it was hard to know the questions to ask. It was hard to find somebody to, to be my mentor, so to speak. And so I, what I wish is that, you know, and, and there probably was a mentor out there. I just didn't look. Uh, I didn't look hard enough. And I think finding someone, it could just be that, you know, you may not think of them as a mentor, but find somebody else who has been, walked in your shoes and um, and talk to them. People are, most uh, entrepreneurs are very willing to share um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so surround yourself with that. Your network is your most important asset. And reaching out to people and asking the questions and is the thing that I wished. I mean, I muddled through, but it was much harder. Well said. So that leads us to the last piece here. I wanted to talk about your book, Fed Up and Startup. Um, I I really want to know what the principles are and what people could kind of expect about that and then what you're working on now. Yeah, so it's my second book. The first book was Upsetting the Table, which was um, helping uh, women climb the corporate ladder. They're told as stories. They're not business books where, you know, you have chapters where you have to, um, you know, go through tables and charts, et cetera. Um, and Fed Up to Startup is really based on my first startup. That's when I got fed up in the corporate world and I joined the startup world. And so it's the story of a young woman, Rebecca, who leaves the corporate world and does a startup and it takes you through her journey with her, you know, her, she has a husband. I mean, there are characters and people ask me all the time, so what's Rebecca doing? And it took me, you know, I always have to stop a second because Rebecca's the character. She's not real. Um, so there's a lot of lessons in there. Um, it talks about, you know, how does she find space? How does she raise it, get a team? How does she hire people? I mean, it's filled with lessons about, um, how to run a business, but it's um, put together as a fable. So it's my experience, but I could change it to be more interesting or less interesting, depending on the situation. Um, so yes, it's done, it's doing very well. I'm very excited. I just released it in June and people like it because they can remember it. The idea is they can remember how, you know, Rebecca did that or what the situation was. It, it stays with you longer than and nothing wrong with straight business books, but it's just a different approach. Mm-hmm. I like that as a, as a story. Yes, and I'm working on my third book, which is on women angel investing. So it was, that was the three. And so I'm just trying to get my, I'm trying to get there because I also released a new program called the startup experience, which is based on, um, you know, it's for entrepreneurs. So I got a little, I got distracted, but I'm back on track now. Got it. Got it. So 
you're right now you're working on another book. Uh, is mm-hmm. that what you're mainly working on or what else are you? Well, I'm a mentor in residence in Duke, so yep. I'm, st- I'm mentoring and I still have my private practice, which I'm, I'm always trying to pare down. Um, because you know, it just, it, I love it, but it can be, sometimes you have, you know, entrepreneurs you're coaching and you just want, you think you just want them to do it, but they're, you know, afraid or whatever. And so, um, it's, but I love it, and it's interesting to learn about lots of um, different businesses and different technologies and different sciences, and so I do really enjoy it. So I, that's what I do. That's sort of my day job, and my other job is uh, is writing the books and uh, the programs. Very cool. And where can people go and learn more about all of them? They can go to RobbieHardy.com. Beautiful. All right. Well, those are all the questions that I have for you, Robbie. And wherever everybody is listening on iTunes or Spotify, the links that Robbie mentioned will be in the show notes. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Thank you, Steve. Take care.